2 Corinthians 12, and um, looking at verse 11 through the rest of the chapter, some of this is going to sound pretty familiar. Some things are almost repeated uh, from chapters 10 and 11, and I'm sure you'll pick up on it. Um, But Paul says, I've been a fool in boasting, or I've become a fool in boasting. You have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended by you. For in nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. And so, almost, you know, a repeated phrase um, from chapter 5, verse 13, or 11, verse 1, or 11, verse 16, um, you know, just we're get, don't, don't let it get old, you know, because there's a reason that the Holy Spirit has this for us two, three times in the chap in the book, um, and it, it's there's learning things for us uh, for sure in this. Uh, but Paul is, you know, just feeling like, man, this is a folly or foolishness that I am um, really giving a recommendation of my apostleship and ministry. I don't want to, but you've made me do it, (laughs) you know, um, for the sake of the glory of God and for the sake of the gospel. Um, uh, I ought to have been commended by you guys. Instead, I've got to write these three chapters at the end of the book, uh, commending myself in a sense, Uh, but you haven't stood with me, should have stood with me is really what it means there. Uh, For in nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. Now, Uh, Chapter 11, verse 5 says that again. Uh, It's almost sarcastic. I'm not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles or sarcastically these super duper apostles. Again, Paul says that again. There's no way that I'm in any way behind these guys in power and legitimacy and effectiveness. Um, And what you can notice is the difference here is as he boasts, He's not trying to boast in himself. In fact, as he boasts, he puts himself down. I mean, have you ever seen anybody that's so prideful and haughty about themselves that as they're talking about the great things they've done, they like put down themselves? <laughs> that's, Paul's doing that in this text. He closes out the verse with, though I am nothing. So, man, in every way that these guys that you've got in Corinth that are, you know, um, slandering me and criticizing me and um, questioning my apostleship. Um, they are puffing themselves up and they are desiring glory for themselves. And I just want to say to the glory of God, he has moved through me in mighty ways and all the ways that chapters 11 or 10 and 11 and 12 speak of. Um, and so he cuts out the verse with, I'm nothing. I am nothing. And he, he does that um, throughout his epistles. In 1 Corinthians 15, 10, he says, uh, it's actually 9 and 10, um, but uh, for I am the least of the apostles whom not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And you just know that Paul always carried that with him. That, you know, he remembers that day that he stood uh, with the Sanhedrin uh, giving the green light for the people to stone Stephen. And uh, he held the cloaks of the men who were stoning Stephen. And that means that he was the one giving the command, kill this guy. And you know that he always had Stephen, you know, who would end up being a brother in the Lord, 
his murder was on Paul's hand. Uh, the, the imprisonment of men and women and children, delivering them up into chains uh, was just always on his mind. And remember from Sunday how he um, knew that the Lord gave him a thorn in the flesh to keep him from exalting himself above measure with all the dreams and visions that he'd had of the Lord. Um, you can bet that this was one of those thorns in the flesh was that he always, you see it, I mean, 2 Corinthians, and he's still, uh, well, 1 Corinthians, and he's carrying about this, man, I'm, I'm the least. I mean, I've persecuted the church. And it helped keep him humble. And it goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 15, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And when people boast and they do themselves down, but then they also talk about it's the grace of God that I'm anything, um, that's an interesting type of boasting, isn't it? Um, you know, that they're definitely, you know, making the case for powerful authority that God's given them, but the whole while they're putting themselves down and elevating the Lord and just humbling themselves as they're elevating the Lord. Um, that should always be how we make our cases, shouldn't it be? It, that it's the grace of God that I am what I am. Teaching that to our kids, you know, oh, Lainey, you look so beautiful. I know. Oh, Russell, looking like a champ today. I, I know. You know, and just start, oh, okay, so we want to make sure that we are mirrors that reflect the glory of God. Oh, man, praise God that I look like anything good today. You know, man, glory to God for that one. Um, he's hiding my mole out of your vision today. Uh, praise God. So, and uh, Titus, it's so exciting. Titus is learning how to pray right now. So he's 16 months, just turned 16 months, and just this week, uh, Titus, we're praying at the table. You know, he goes into this spiritual tone. And he kind of does this. <laughs> you say stop. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, and just this, and we're like, it sounds like he's doing like a spiritual tone. <laughs> and then he claps, and that's the amen, you know. And then he does this. And then we praise Jesus together. So teaching Titus at a young age. Praise, you got to praise Jesus, right? Um, so let's start doing that, huh? Don't speak in tongues unless you have an interpreter around. But um, other than that, but he goes on to say, uh, it's the grace of God that I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. The 12 disciples, the apostles and elders, in no way was I behind them in, in power and in ministry. It's the grace of God that it's that way. I was one, fifth, chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, I was one born out of due time. Um, and then he goes on to say, yet not I labored more abundantly than they, but the grace of God which was in me. It's just, man, just attributing it all to the gift of the Lord. Man, I persecuted Christians, killed Christians, killed the first deacon, you know, uh, those aren't good things. It is the grace of God that I'm able to be used. Uh, and, and let's just let that always be the words out of our mouths. It's the grace of God uh, that I am what I am. And that ministry, it was the grace of God in me. Um, and so I was in no way behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing, though I am nothing. Um, and he says that in 1 Corinthians 3, 7 as well. Neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Paul, Peter, 
Apollos, you know, these guys, they're nothing. It's the Lord who is something. He's the one who gives the increase. Verse 12, we prayed this out tonight. Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Notice that it was with perseverance that these signs and wonders were done. And uh, those of you that were on the Nepal team, you know that sometimes it takes perseverance uh, to even ask for those things. You know, we, you know, we just prayed for the lady that got knocked over by the ox, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and nothing really happened. And uh, okay, let's pray again right here, you know. Um, okay, let's pray again right here. And nothing's happening. Okay, we're going to come back tomorrow, you know. And, you know, it's just like perseverance. Just keep praying, keep knocking, keep seeking, keep asking. Um, don't give up. You know, telling her, we're going to be back tomorrow. We're going to come and pray for you. And seeing her out in the streets and praying over her. And, um, takes perseverance to, uh, to keep walking in uh, that ministry. And uh, this is something that marked Paul's ministry, Acts 14.3. Uh, at the end of it says, uh, The Lord was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. And then Acts 15, 12, uh, the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. Uh, Romans 15, 18, I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me and word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. So we just see accompanying the ministry of the word were signs and wonders to make the Gentiles obedience, to make them obey. Uh, and uh, just see that that was something that was accompanying the, uh, the word, that was the word of his grace. Um, Acts 19 is kind of an interesting passage regarding this. God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. And so, you know, Paul's just saying uh, many signs and wonders of, uh, of an apostle were accomplished among you. Is something that happened with perseverance and mighty deeds, things were accomplished. Uh, verse 13, for what is it in which you were inferior to other churches except that I myself was not burdensome to you Forgive me this wrong. Uh, back in chapter 11, he says a very similar thing that uh, he bre- preached the gospel to the Corinthians free of charge and robbed other churches taking wages from them so that he could minister to the Corinthians. And so he says, in what ways were you any different than the other churches except I, I basically gave you a, a coupon for free ministry work to be done here. Um, sorry about that. You know, it's kind of how the language is in this verse. A little bit of uh, sar- sarcasm there. Uh, last week we studied that in verses 7 through 10 of chapter 11 that he wanted to be a burden to them in no way and to keep himself from being burdensome. Um, he would keep that up. And, you know, sometimes that's, that's the ministry is, is going and, you know, working for free. Paul makes the case that there's times in ministry that, you know, these ministers need to be provided for uh, and don't muzzle the ox as he treads out the grain. Um, and then there's times where you go places and it's not right to receive a wage. And the Holy Spirit bears witness to that. And you can tell by the culture. Uh, for instance, if we went into uh, Gatling back in Nepal next week and just started set up, set up camp and, you know, 
demand a, a wage from those poor, you know, villagers, like just wouldn't, wouldn't work, wouldn't make sense. Not that we're not calling them to generous living and generous giving, um, but, you know, as Paul did when Blaine was teaching here uh, while I was gone, um, but sensitivity to not letting the, um, the wage be a stumbling block. Clark writes, it is the privilege of the churches of Christ to support the ministry of his gospel among them. Those who do not contribute their part to the support of the gospel ministry either care nothing for it or derive no good from it. Uh, you remember uh, chapter 8 began with the Macedonian example of that they gave according to their ability and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. And that's just a great principle for our New Testament giving. Uh, you don't see a tithe in the New Testament, but you, you see that in the Old Testament. You don't see it in the New, but neither do you see it done away with. Um, our, our studies that we've done show that 10% is just a good place to start as we're new believers, but that's just to help foster generosity in us. And a great way to think of it is instead of thinking, uh, you know, what do I give to the Lord from my resources? You say, what dare I keep for myself from his resources? You know, these are his things. What dare I keep for myself so that I can just maybe build up my comfort here and my luxury here? And, you know, uh, man, to go into it with fear as to us as a steward to his master. Um, and so, uh, Generous giving and generous living, for sure. Uh, Paul would use the Macedonians as an example there. Um, verse 14, now for the third time I'm ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you. For I do not seek yours, but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. Um, there's a great phrase in that verse, and I'm sure you caught it. I do not seek yours, but you. And man, that is the heart of a true minister. I don't want your stuff. I don't want your silver or your gold or your apparel or your possessions. I want you. I want your heart. Um, he says that in 2 Corinthians 8, 5 that great chapter on giving in light of the gospel. And he says about the Macedonians who gave according to their ability and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. He said about them, and not only as we'd hoped did they give, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. And that's just that heart of, man, a, a, um, a great, healthy giver is someone who is giving themselves to the Lord first. He has their heart. And then what follows is giving. And giving, it's been said, is a barometer of the heart. And Jesus was the one that said that in the Gospels. He didn't use that exact phrase, but he really says, uh, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Um, and so... I do not seek yours, but you. And, and just to make a note there, that is just the heart of our leadership. And we will be calling times just towards generous giving for certain things. And always to be generous givers, really. But 
you know, if, if your heart isn't there, we don't want your money. We'd rather have your heart. We'd rather have you growing in grace um, and just let the giving come from uh, an encounter with Jesus. Um, goes on in verse 15. I had to put a star by this verse in my notes. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. So verse 14, he talks about, you know, the kids don't need to, to uh, save up for the father and the mother. It's the, it's the other way around. Um, he says, so I'm going to save up and I'm going to very gladly, was his tone, spend and be spent. Uh, spend means I will be wasted and exert effort for you. And then to be spent goes even further. It means to expend and exhaust and give myself completely. Man, as we've, you know, we're almost done with this book and we've seen what kind of people these people are. (laughs) They can be not very pleasant sometimes to minister to, Paul has shown us. And yet what is his heart? His heart is that of a father to his child. Gladly giving of himself and exerting effort and even going further than that, exhausting himself and giving himself completely. Philippians 2, this verse always comes to my mind uh, when it comes to ministry. And it says, yes, and if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Oh, I love that verse. Uh, just remember the first time I really read that and, and highlighted it and just put it in my heart um, as a minister. That is just key that we just are poured out. In another place, Paul calls himself a minister over the sacrifice of the Gentiles that's going to the Lord. And here he's calling himself not only a minister, but the actual drink offering that's poured out um, upon the offering. And uh, those of you that are in ministry and growing in ministry capacities, God calls all of us to ministry. Um, you know those times, don't you? You know those times where it's been a long day, you know, and, and you've just poured yourself out for people. And then you get a call that someone else needs you. And then you go and you pour yourself out. And you pour, you just, ah, you know, I don't have much left. And praise God, we have the Holy Spirit, huh? Uh, we need the Holy Spirit to help us in those times. Uh, but whenever our heart begins to be bitter and resentful in that, then you begin to hear the Lord speak words of, you know, I could use someone else if you want. <laughs> you know, uh, it's his grace that we get to be used. And it's something we get to do, not have to do. So consider your ministries and the callings that you feel yourself being called to and let it be an I get to thing, not an I have to thing. Let it be something that you get to be glad to do and rejoice in doing, even if you're just completely poured out uh, because it's something that is a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. And that is, that's, first of all, seen in the service heart of the Lord Jesus himself. There's another verse that just should be grained into your memory is Mark 10.45. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to just give it all, to give his life as a ransom for many. Uh, he was one that poured himself out 
uh, on the sacrifice and service of our faith. And he was, as Hebrews says, it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. Um, and in all that, you know, so think of that. He's got this ministry heart of, I'm so glad that I get to just pour myself out and um, uh, very glad to spend and be spent for your souls. And then there's this little phrase, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. Don't, does your heart just ache there? <laughs> you know, just, it's almost one of those uh just romance novels that you see, you know, no, don't turn away. You know, the more I love you, the less I am loved. And um, man, you remember in chapter, um, was it chapter 11? First little phrase there, verse two, for I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. So he just has this godly jealousy, um, over this church that he loves. And the more I love you, the less I'm loved. And man, there's many times that the leadership of this church just feels that sentiment (laughs) Um, to just, you know, here it's where we're at in the text. And so, you know, just kind of can bring it to some relevant 2016 application. Um, You know, there's just, there's times where, you know, we just call the body to come and go deeper and grow deeper. And man, would you commit with us to be part of this church and to use your gifts and, uh, you know, be about the vision of the New Testament and, oh, come on, we'll do it. Will you do it? You know, and kind of like get down on one knee and pop the ring up there and just, nope. <laughs> oh, no, anybody, you know? And so, uh, man, just, uh, encourage you guys that, um, you know, not only the leadership in this church, but so many of the people in this church want to have a commitment with one another to, to press on and advancing the kingdom of God in this earth together in a local church setting. And so just encourage you guys to, as, as you see people from the body in a sense, and on the 13th, we're going to have the next round of new members be announced to the church. And as you see kind of all of them like slip the ring on their finger in a sense, just the ringer of the ringer of their heart. <laughs> um, you know, man, think about that, that here are, you know, I think there's probably 15 to 20 people in the second round that are saying, Hey, we want to be committed here. We want to be about the Lord's business of the local church in the new Testament. Uh, we just encourage you guys to be praying about, man, are these people trying to love me more? And the more they try to love me, am, am I kind of, don't get me wrong, we come on strong. <laughs> We're like that, you know, will you be my girlfriend, you know? And hey, we don't blame you for having to take a couple steps back. And <laughs> maybe we didn't brush our teeth first. I don't know. But um, but there's just times that, that we uh, feel that and... Um, and, you know, I, I really, two weeks ago, I thought that the message on the Sunday morning was going to really camp out there on the jealousy thing a lot more. And it ended up by the Holy Spirit going uh, beyond that um, into just the serpent deceiving and uh, corrupting the Corinthians' minds from the simplicity that were in Christ and, and uh, that passage from last week. But, and so because I thought I was going to camp out more on that jealousy passage of godly jealousy, man, 
for about two days, I just almost tossed and turned um, just, just jealousy for you guys and for this church. And, and I really had to wrestle, though, you know, oh, it says godly jealousy, you know, and we see what that is. And just, Lord, is this ungodly jealousy that I have? And, uh, man, there can be frustrations sometimes that the more I'm loving people, the less I'm loved. And, and you know, I'm trying to betroth the, this church to Jesus as a chaste virgin, and I want to see them pure, but, but maybe my motives aren't pure in that. Lord, just, and just having to check myself, which, which is good, you want us to do that. You know, we want the Holy Spirit to be bringing conviction and maybe bringing in like, oh, Rory, there's a little bit of selfish ambition there. There's some selfish motives. And, and just, man, I had to bring that before the Lord, but but um, man, there's a jealousy for you. And, and it's not just from the elders, again, um, having breakfast and, and having lunch with people. And, and they just ask, man, how's so-and-so doing? Man, I'm just grieved that I'm not seeing them press in. Just long to see them press in. And I thought they'd be pressing in. And it seems like they just, you know, not, it seems like they're just, you know, and the more I try to love them, and it's just interesting to hear that come from the laymen, if you will, uh, or the lame men, if you will. Um, it's not just the leadership. This body, man, we just long for one another as a family. And when we see the family, just kind of like, yeah, we just see it and feel it. And um, and so if that's you, or if uh, if you're the one that's down on one knee, just trying to be committed, um, just we hear the heart of Paul here. That, uh, that this church reciprocate the love and the care and the jealousy. And as much as I would be jealous for Lindsay if I saw a, a man going after her, she'd be jealous for me if a woman was coming after me. And, you know, there's that reciprocal jealousy. There's that reciprocal affection. Although the affection goes much more that way. No, I'm kidding. Um, but, man, you guys are cold tonight. <laughs> Be that as it may. <laughs> I know. It was brutal. <sighs> right now I'm debating on who said that. <laughs> if you're a husband here tonight and that was your wife, feel free to. But, verse 16, there's a reason that the verse starts out saying, Be that as it may. <laughs> I did not burden you. <laughs> Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you by cunning. And so Paul is, again, being a bit sarcastic, playing into the super apostles' accusations that Paul was clever or treacherous in the way that he won the Corinthians' hearts. The ESV says, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Or the NIV, yet crafty fellow that I am, I caught you by trickery. And, uh, and of course, we don't peddle the word of God. And Paul is in verse 17, 18, and 19 going to prove that he was not being crafty in the way that he caught them. And um, he's going to defend himself in that. And yet at the same time, I want to go to Luke 16, verses 1 through 8. This is a passage that came to my mind. Jesus tells a parable of the shrewd servant. He said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward 
And an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I am ashamed to beg. For I have resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, Take your bill, sit down, and quickly write fifty. Then he said to another, How much do you owe? So he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. So the master commended the unjust steward because he dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And so you've got this guy that doesn't claim to be innocent. Apparently he has not been a good steward. And he knows he's going to get fired. He's going to be put out of work. And he's going to have to join the ditch digging crew. And he says, I can't dig and I'm too ashamed to beg. And so he has this great stroke of like, crafty wisdom is kind of what shrewd means. Uh, This crafty wisdom that I'm going to go to everyone that owes my master money and I'm going to go get at least some portion back because these guys haven't been paying anything. My master will be stoked to be getting 50%, you know, even 30% of his profits back. And, you know, right before he's going to fire me, all of a sudden there's, you know, there's income coming in. And so, uh, and even if I still get fired, These guys are free of their debts, and they're going to at least receive me into their home. And so there's this craftiness, and at the end of it all, the master kind of does that, well done, or or, well played, (laughs) you know, Um, well played. You dealt shrewdly. But then Jesus applies it and says, the sons of the world are more shrewd in their generations than the sons of light. And... I remember teaching this when we were in Luke. It was the year that I moved here, chapter 16. And just um, in studying, just hearing from the different preachers I was listening to, just how we can look out at this world and see the master marketing plans to push product, can't we? And we just, you know, you guys went to college more than I did. You guys know more about business and you know and trading and all that and, and maybe that parable like really is just like hits home for you um but you know you, you drive by mcdonald's there are different big signs in the window almost every week there's different things on the placards there's i mean this world knows how to do it don't they and yet how are we as far as crafty and i don't mean treacherous crafty i mean thoughtful crafty like if you were a crafter <laughs> put some design into it, you know, put some time into it. How are we at crafting getting the gospel out? And I remember David Platt's like right-hand man, Jonathan, speaking at uh, Birmingham when we were there and just talking about uh, the unreached up in Vietnam and how, man, they got in these Jeeps that have the snorkels, you know, and they drive through the rivers and they go way up into the mountains and uh, they uh, got a flat tire and as they're fixing it, some natives come out of the jungle and they've got shields and spears and, you know, just full-on native looking. And he began to strike up a conversation through a translator. Uh, This was an unreached tribe. And um, they they had no idea, like, who 
brought the rain because no one has ever told them about who brought the rain and they didn't know how to be forgiven of sin and just neat conversation that happened um and as they went farther up and made it farther up they made it into, into a village where there was like nothing in this village that was western um except for coca-cola and jonathan was just blown away that you know some marketing company corporation in atlanta in the coca-cola distributor distributors you know they're how are we going to get it up into the you know jungles of vietnam well we're gonna and we're gonna put it on the backs of her and then slap a donkey on the butt and we're gonna get it up in there you know we're gonna make some money up in vietnam and um and he was just how is it that coca-cola you know has been in business for this long has this much reach But the Church of Christ, who for 2,000 years has had a commission and a mission, is stingy with resources, is lazy with marketing plan, and isn't getting the gospel up into these these unreached people groups. And so I just was uh, going for a walk tonight with my family. I was like, I just got to go pray. (laughs) And uh, we just went for a prayer walk together down by the lake and um, just walking and just like, oh, Lord, show us how. Not not by earthly confidence and not by man's wisdom, but Lord, let us be um, shrewd in the way that we reach this community. Let us be tactful in the way that we reach this community. And it's really exciting. We're going to be hearing more about the safe families um, ministry in the church and how we're going to be having almost like a foster ministry, but it's outside of the foster system, so it doesn't have the bureaucracy and stuff of foster care. Um, but it, it's got the love of the church and the care of the church people. And just to see some tact in that and some you know, care in reaching the community through the vacuum just sucking, uh, this hole that is just sucking um, and it needs Jesus to come and, and patch it. You know? uh, and that is the hurting children in our community. They, they need a band-aid of Jesus over that. So... Um, just, let's just be praying about that. Let's not let that go out, you know, um, of being clever in how we reach people, not by earthly confidence. And, and again, that's not even what Paul's talking about here. He's being sarcastic because they're accusing him of being cunning and crafty at the same hand. Let's be careful, full of care and thoughtful about reaching the people in this world. And in this community. Verse 17. Did I take advantage of you by any of those whom I sent you? I urged Titus and sent our brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? And uh, you remember when Blaine taught chapter 8 and 9 about how Titus was going to be accompanying the gift and such great care that there would be no, it would be above reproach rather, um, as the gift was sent out. Did we not walk in the same spirit? Did we not walk in the same steps? Again, do you think that we excuse ourselves to you? We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, beloved, for your edification. And like we don't, we don't need to defend ourselves to you guys. Um, Man, we're terrified that we will be standing before the Lord. You know, we have no doubt that we're blameless here. Um, And anything that we do, we don't do it for ourselves to be built up but for your edification and that paul has said that already in chapter um um let's see what was it 
I don't have it written in my notes. I know he's already said that. He's going to say it in chapter 13, verse 10. That's what I'm thinking of. He, he will be saying it, chapter 13, verse 10. Um, and his heart is to edify the church, whereas the false teachers in Corinth, their, their heart is to edify themselves and build themselves up. Verse 20, for I fear, and this is the second time he tells them that he's fearful for them. I fear lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I wish, and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish. So you guys are going to be in sin, and I'm going to be coming with some some grit. If someone prayed up tonight, I'm going to be coming ready to do some discipline because you guys are being hard-hearted and unrepentant. And you're not going to be found as I want to find you, and I'm not going to be found as you want to find me. If there are contentions or less there are contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, backbiting, whisperings, conceits, tumults, these are all things that Paul has dealt with in 1 Corinthians, things that marked the church there as carnal and living according to the sinful fleshly desires. Uh, All of these things are marks of a carnal church, whether there's strife and quarrel going on, jealousies, fury and indignation and hostility to one another, evil speech and slander about one another, gossiping and and, uh, tell-bearing, pride disorder and rebellion and riots. That's mark of carnality. Uh, That's not mark of a uh, spirit-abiding church. Verse 21, lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you and I shall mourn. That word mourn speaks of Grieving over one who has died. Many who have, uh, for those many who have sinned before and not repented of the uncleanness, which speaks of immorality and filth. Not repented of the fornication, which is, just covers the broad aspect of sexual immorality, of any kind of sex outside of marriage. Uh, lewdness, which speaks of sensuality and licentiousness. Now, Paul didn't have a problem with sinners. You know, everyone struggles with sin. These are people that had been confronted on sin and had not repented. And that's the problem there. The, the tense is in the aorist tense. It means they're practicing sin currently and are not repentant. And it could be echoed in 1 Corinthians 4.21. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod of correction or in love and a spirit of gentleness? Uh, he's going back there for his third time, and he's hoping it can be a pleasant journey, not one with uh, more correction and rebuke, which is a part of discipleship, but it's not always the pleasant thing <laughs> at the moment. Uh, and so that is our chapter for tonight. And, you know, as we close with those last two verses, just um, full of lists of carnality. We can remember what he told the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 6 when he listed this list of just outright gross sins. He ended that with, and such were some of you. You know, you were the ones that were uh, contentious and jealous and would have outbursts of wrath in a church-like setting and Selfish, backbiting, gossip, whispering, conceits, tumults, unclean, filthy, sexually immoral. Such were some of you. But you've been washed and you've been sanctified and you've been justified. 
in the name of the Lord Jesus. And that's the good news tonight. It kind of brings us to Jesus, that we all have a past, don't we? We all have a history, and I hope that it's in the past tense, if you're calling yourself a Christian. hope it's in the past tense. Um, such were some of you. And that we would encourage one another towards that. Um, you know, just thinking of just such a common thing in the church that sexual immorality just continues in a church unchecked and unrepentant and unconfronted. And, you know, man, just not to be named in churches. And such an interesting thing, being a lead pastor and having 90% of my pre-marriage you know, applicants tell me they're living together and they refuse to repent of that. And they, they'd rather just leave the church and leave fellowship and community than repent. And, and even as we would come alongside and say, come live at my house, come, you know, come, you know, we'll help you in this. Uh, we know it's not easy to just find another place to live. Like we want to just, you know, that's, that's a mark of a church in 2016. People living together, people shacking up, hooking up, splitting up. And that's the cycle these days, isn't it? I guess it's the hooking up, shacking up, and splitting up. And uh, 50% divorce rate in the church these days, and you wonder why. Uh, it's, you know, one thing is we just haven't repented of our filthiness and sexual immorality. And, and um, we want to do that. We want it to be in past tense. Such were some of you. But we'd be washed by the blood of Jesus. We'd be justified by the person and work of Jesus, that legal term that speaks of a judge slamming his gavel down in heaven and declaring someone to be innocent and to just let them go, uh, that they would be justified and be found righteous by Jesus Christ and then to be sanctified by Jesus Christ, which means to be set apart from those filthy things. The problem isn't that we're sinners. The problem is when we practice sin and don't repent of it. And so let's go ahead and move towards prayer. And Ron, if you want to grab your guitar, uh, you can. Get my stuff off your music stand here. Let's go ahead and stand. We can set our things aside. Good job, you guys, pressing through. I thought about doing chapter 13 so that we could get it out of the way <laughs> um, because I know that kind of these last couple chapters have been like repeat, you know, it's like he's repeating it, you know, uh, but there's also some really good nuggets that I didn't want to miss in chapter 13. Um, you know, and we found some nuggets tonight too, didn't we? There's some really good little phrases in there. Um, we don't desire you, uh, yours, but you We desire your heart and glad to be spending and be spent for you though the less or the more I love you the less I am loved and just a call that the Lord by the spirit would give tonight to just press into the love of the church and the love of the leaders and to one another and reciprocate love in the local body and and uh, and then you know just the the good confrontation in practicing sin there in those final verses that we need to hear as a church. We just don't want to continue on in those things. Or, you know, we're not going to have Paul the Apostle come rebuke us. We're going to have Jesus uh, appearing in the clouds and calling us home. And um, 
man, we just don't want to be found in iniquity when he comes. As 1 John says, he who has the hope of the imminent return of Christ purifies himself just as he is pure. So Lord, we just come tonight and we bow our hearts before you. Uh, we just Anything that was just said tonight that, that seemed to just be a little more of me, um, just sharing a, a pastor's heart, Lord, we just pray that you'd give people the ability to to just discern that and hear that and um, just hear what you would have them hear from that, Lord. And um, just as Paul would, would speak those words of just jealousy over the people, God, I pray that you'd help this church to just sense your jealous heart and our jealous heart for one another, that we'd fight for one another uh, and for our affections and we'd pursue one another when we're backsliding and we're going astray, God. Um, Lord, I just pray that as you are equipping us in these Wednesday nights, that you just be put in the heart of ministers in each and every one of us, um, that we would just find it just a joyful thing to spend and be spent, God. Would you work in even the people here tonight, hearts of generosity, they'd be able to lead by example in um, just generous giving, not bound to a tithe, not bound to... 50%, but Lord, that we'd be 100% givers, God. We'd have that heart of, what should I keep back? What dare I keep back when this is all yours, Lord? Give us that type of mindset for your kingdom. (laughs) Cleanse us from sin tonight. Just give us an absolute distaste for sin. Give us a godly sorrow that brings repentance and helps us to turn away from that list of sins that we would read tonight. And uh, just as we repent, uh, as you say so often, just flee sexual immorality, but pursue righteousness. And just whatever we would flee from tonight, help us to turn to pursue you and the things of you. 